Good morning. Good morning. Oh man, um, I don't know how we're going to follow that. Um, <laughs> man. Um, all right. Breath. Um, good morning. I'm calming down. I'm going to say it till I'm there. Um, I don't want my brain to be in like a million places when we start. Um, Man, I'm so excited, I don't don't know if you can tell, um, to be here with you this morning. Um, So excited to kind of dig into what God is going to say. If you have your word, you can flip open to Mark 12 if you're not already there. Um, This morning we're going to start a new series called What is Worship? Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, Amen. (laughs) He's the few I've been talking to. (laughs) He's ready because he yelled. Nobody else did. Um, We're going to start a series this morning called What is Worship? And I don't really know how many weeks this is going to go. But man, I think so many times when we think about worship, we think songs, right? Like what just happened is worship. We have a time of worship and then we have a time of giving and then some guy talks for a little while and we're not sure what that is but it's something uh, some part of church Um, and then we may have a little bitty response time at the end and then we leave right and we do Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday and then we come back and we have a time of worship and we and we think of worship as like that moment where the songs are happening, where maybe we lift our hands in worship or we you know, lift our voice in worship. And that's what we think of kind of in worship. But can I just say, maybe that's a big part of worship, but it's not worship in total. Actually, like we already said this morning, if all we're doing is singing songs and lifting our hands and lifting our voice, it, there's a possibility it's not worship at all. You ever been to a concert? It's all kinds of people in a room, right? Maybe not a Christian concert, maybe a Christian concert, I don't know. And we see the same patterns, don't we? We're going to sing some songs. Some people lift their hands. It creeps me out, <laughs> I'll be completely honest. Why are you lifting your hand uh, to to save a horse, ride a cowboy? Why, why did, I, don't, I don't get that one. Um, I don't get that, um, but it's okay. We lift our voice. And maybe that is worship. It's definitely not worship right see the truth of it is worship is something deeper than that and more than that worship is bigger than that the dictionary defines worship as the adoration right affection directed towards a deity and in this house we define worship as the outward and open expression of an inward love for god that worship in this place is an outward and open expression right so people can see it it's, it's the outside that thrives off the inside, right? The inward love for God. It's the response to what God's doing in our hearts. And this morning, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about worship and what is worship. Um, this morning, we're going to kick that off in Mark 12. And if you've been around long, I know that I say this sometimes, if you've been around very long, you've heard this before. And by the heard this, I mean the, the set of scriptures uh, that, that we're going to talk about. Um, unfortunately for you guys, there's no new Bible this morning. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got a limited number of pages and sometimes you'll hear things multiple times and that's okay because the word of God is living and it's effective and it's sharper than any two-edged sword Hebrews, right? I pray it every Sunday. Um, 
And this morning, even though we may have heard those verses before, I I guarantee you through the grace of God, you haven't heard this before. So I'm just going to set the stage this morning for what's happening in Mark 12, just in case you didn't read Mark 1 through 11 this morning before he came. Um, In Mark 12, yeah, um, I did, no, I'm just kidding. Um, In Mark 12, um, Jesus is teaching, like we find Jesus doing pretty much, you know, the whole way through the Gospels. Jesus is either being born, teaching, or dying. That's like the three things that happen, highlights, cliff notes of... um, of the Gospels. Um, and in Mark 12, we see Jesus is teaching. He's teaching this parable, and the parable is of a vineyard owner. Uh, I'm not going to do the whole thing uh, this morning, but uh, the moral to the story is the Pharisees don't come out looking like good guys. Um, it's this vineyard owner who plants a vineyard, and he puts these hired hands kind of in charge of it. And anybody who tries to come and um, kind of place the will of the owner into that place is either beaten or killed or thrown out. Um, including the owner's son. Now see, this is Jesus talking about the Pharisees here, the religious leaders who God put in charge of his people, these, these people who are supposed to be the people that lead the people to God, but what they're really doing is leading the people to themselves. And, and, and they're getting all the glory and they're getting all the praise and God sends people over and over again. He sends the prophets, Old Testament. He sends his son in the New Testament. And every time they're killed or they're thrown out, they're beaten, they're mocked, they're not listened to, they're scorned. And, and that's kind of this parable. And the Pharisees hear this and it registers. Uh, I think that's amazing because a lot of people hear this and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what's going on. The Pharisees hear this and immediately they know Jesus is talking about them. Man, that's called conviction, right? Like, I heard it, and I know that I'm the dude beating up all the people. I'm the dude that's going to kill the Son of God. I'm the guy who's taking all the glory for myself. They hear it, and what they do is they don't repent, which is what they should have done, but they actually get angry with Jesus, and they're like, we got to get rid of this guy. He's going to take all our glory away. He's going to take all our people away. So they start figuring out ways to trap Jesus, and that kind of happens through the rest of Mark 12. Until you get to this moment, um, time and time again they do this, until you get to this moment um, where Jesus encounters a scribe in verse 28. Um, The scribe has been sitting around watching this go down. He's seen time after time like Jesus respond well to one of these things and nobody seems to be able to trap Jesus and the scribe steps into the story at 28 and it says... One of the scribes approached. Now, there's more than one, (laughs) but this is one of them, and uh, he approached by himself. Everywhere else here, it says the Pharisees, multiple, or the Sadducees, multiple, but this guy apparently thinks he's the man, right? He's been watching this go down. He's like, oh, the Pharisees, they're lame. They can't get it. Or, oh, the Sadducees, they're lame. They can't do it. But me, like, I can do this because I'm a scribe. A scribe's job was to sit around every day and write the Old Testament over and over and over again because we want plenty of manuscripts. So he would sit down, he would write out Genesis. Get done with Genesis, maybe he'd sit down and write out Exodus or Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he would do this over and over and over and over again. That was his job, that's what he did. His job was to sit around and write down Scripture. Man, I don't know about you, but if I sat around and wrote Genesis every day for the rest of my life, I'd probably be able to quote you eventually the book of Genesis, right? So this man looks at this, and he's like, oh, the Pharisees, they're losers. Uh, they don't know the Bible like me. And the Sadducees, man, they don't know the Bible like me. But, but man, I'm a scribe, and I got this. 
So he comes to Jesus and he, he, he heard them debating and he saw Jesus answered all these guys correctly. And so he goes up to Jesus by himself and he asked them, or he asked him, what commandment is the most important of all? You look at that and you're like, man, that's a wasted question. How dumb is that? Like, there's 10 of them, right? There's 10 commandments. I know there's 10. I don't know what any of them are. I may know what two or three, but I definitely can't list all of them to you. But I mean, seriously, Jesus here, he could probably list all 10 commandments. And he could probably come through and figure out, he's got a one out of 10 shot. I mean, he's probably going to get it, right? The problem is there's not 10 commandments. There's 613 commandments found in the books of Moses. That's the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. 613, that's nuts. I don't even know the 10, right? The big 10, I can't, I couldn't write them out for you today if I wanted to. If you held a gun on me and said, write them, I'd get like maybe two and you'd just shoot me, I guess, because I wouldn't be able to do it. And he comes up to Jesus, he's like, hey, there's, uh, there's 613 commandments. Which one do you think is the most important of all? That, that deepens the pool a little, right? A little bit harder now. They were broken up into weightier and lesser commandments. So you can eliminate like 300 and something probably just off the bat that are lessers. But Jesus still has about 200 commandments to go through and try to say this one is the one. In this moment, um, you look at this and you're like, I understand why this guy asked this question. If anybody knew the law, it was this guy. His job was to sit around and to write the first five books of the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over again. He knew all 613. He could put them in order. He, he could put them up on the board like this is the one I think is the most important. This one comes after. This one comes after. This one comes after. But even that, it's somewhat subjective. So Jesus not only has to get the right one, but he has to get the right one that this guy thinks is the right one, right? So he comes up and he asks Jesus, what's the most important command? And here in a minute, we're going to see Jesus answer, but I just want you to think about this. This is not some man's opinion on what the most important commandment is. Jesus is God. Read John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward a few verses, the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. Nobody knows the Word more than Jesus. The scribe may not know it. The scribe may not think it. He may think he's the total authority on the Word of God. But man, the Word of God is standing in front of him, and he looks at him, and he says, what's the most important command? And when Jesus answers, he's not answering from a, a set of subjectivity. What Jesus says this morning is authority, the most important. 613 commandments this morning, we can rest assured because God says himself in the next verse, this is the most important. We can make it anything we want to, right? This morning, we can be subjective. Oh, I think the most important commandment is honor your father and your mother. Well, if that's not what Jesus says, it's not the most important. So Jesus comes in, he steps in, and doesn't even look like there's a break in the story. We don't see Jesus turn around and like think about it or pop out the Bible and like look it up. It just Jesus answers, and it says, he says, well, this is the most important. Can you imagine the authority that was spoken with? Uh, duh. <laughs> this is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the first thing he says, and you're like, Jesus, you blew it. That's not actually a commandment. 
that doesn't tell me to do anything, right? <laughs> like it's like, listen, Israel, okay. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You didn't tell me to do, it. that's not a command, Jesus. You messed up, rewind, mulligan, go back. Um, <laughs> golfers, thank you. Um, but he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema. This is a prayer found uh, in, in the Bible that they would get up every morning. Pious Jews, religious Jews, these guys, the scribe here in this story, would get up every morning and the first thing they would do when their feet hit the ground is they would, they would say this prayer, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Probably something that this guy woke up that morning and, and said. And I, I was like, man, why did you do that, Jesus? You could have just kicked it right off into the command. Because when you read that, it sounds like extra information, right? What? That's not a command. Get to the command. We're just wanting you to answer the question. But what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up a framework of commonality with this man. To, to speak to this man, he has to become like this man, right? To, to, to say something this man can relate to, to meet this man where he is, Jesus has to become like this man. So he starts off the conversation in common ground. He says, hey, let me just tell you something you can get this morning. Um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, well, I, dude, I woke up and said that this morning. I, you are a carpenter. I did not know that you did that. You, you just are a homeless man and you walk around. I, I didn't figure you knew three commandments, let alone the Shema. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. And his ears would have perked up a little bit. And then followed by that, um, Jesus says, this is the command. Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the command that Jesus says is the most important command. I hope you get the authority of that. It doesn't matter what you walked in here this morning thinking, man, if I could just do this, I would get it, yeah. If I could just be this, I could get it. Jesus looks at all the first five books of the Bible, all 613 laws, and he says, hey, let me pick out one for you. This is the most important, the most important thing I have for you today from God is love the Lord your God. Now that wouldn't have made your top two. That probably wouldn't have made your top ten. This command is found in Deuteronomy. I think it's maybe five, chapter five, maybe chapter six, I don't know. A little obscure moment not surrounded by like clouds and thunder and lightning, like just a command in there. And Jesus says, man, this is the primary command. This is the one. This is the thing. This is, if you're going to do one thing, this is the thing right here. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Not, here's the greatest command. Please come to church. It'll make me feel good. Here's the greatest command. If you could try to try to wear the right clothes, I'll really appreciate that. People will know you're Christians if you have a tile on Sunday. That'll be great. 
Not, oh man, if you could just flip it over to one of those Christian radio stations, man, that would, that's the greatest command. Just take away your old music with the words that people shouldn't say and then put in the Jesus music with the words people should say. That's not the greatest command this morning. So I'm sorry if that ruins something for you. But Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna pick one. This is the one with all the authority from heaven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And uh, I love that. Jesus didn't just say this morning, love the Lord your God. Because if we did a survey this morning, raise your hand if you love God. Everybody in the room, because you're here, right? You didn't wake up early on Sunday because you don't love God. Like everybody in the room probably this morning would be like, okay, yeah, I did that. I'm here. I did the songs. I'm here. I love God. Woohoo. But he qualified it, right? He didn't just let it be about a word. But he says, love the Lord your God, and here's how you're going to love him. First of all, you're going to love him with all your heart. Now, the heart in the Jewish mentality would be the emotions. The heart is the seat of the emotions. The heart's not the thing. He's not like, love me with that muscle in your chest that keeps your body alive. But he's like, love me with your emotions, is what he's saying. That, that God intends for us to love him, and he intends for us to love him with our emotions. Now, for some of you, that's weird because you don't have them, or you, don't pretend, you pretend like you don't have them. But here God says that we should love him with our emotions, that, that to love God is an emotional thing, that there should be an emotional response to loving God. That's what we mean when we say that in this place, worship is an outward open expression of our inward love for God. It's not like a, oh, I'm worshiping Jesus in my heart kind of thing, right? I love God, you don't know it because you can't tell by anything I do, but I love God. But he says, I want you to love me with your emotions. That's part of the greatest command, right? I want you to love me with your emotions. That means I want you to love me with your joy when you're happy. I want you to love me. I want you to love me with your sadness when you're sad. I want you to love me. I want you to love me with everything in between on the spectrum there, every emotion you got. I want you to love me with that emotion. It also means, hey, sometimes the, the talking about God, talking about Jesus, it may make you cry, and that's okay, man. Amen? It's not unmanly to cry when you think about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. Actually, God intends for you to do that at times. He wants to break your heart so you can respond in that way. It also means that you can love me with a shout sometimes, right? I'm really excited and I'm ready and I'm, and man, this is amazing and I'm responding to God. The joy in me is so much that it wells up and it's coming out of me that I, I can respond to God with, with, with noise, with vocalization. When your favorite team wins, what do you do? You jump up and you're like ready and you're like clapping and you're jumping and you're hollering and you look like a fool but you don't care. Because it's manly to love football, right? <laughs> God says, I intend for you to love me like that. Like your favorite team just won the Super Bowl. I intend for you to love me like that. You can love them too. I'm not knocking that this morning. It's a gift. God gave us that. You can enjoy stuff. But man, this morning when we, when we hear about the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus, when you hear that you're not a slave to fear and sin and death anymore, man, that, that should sometimes cause a response in us. And God says, I intend for you, part of what I've got for you this morning is I want you to love me with your emotions. Loving God is an emotional thing. Oh, they just had an emotional response. I praise God they do. 
Because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, the seed of your emotions. But he goes on, he says, with all your soul. Soul, to a Jewish person hearing this, would be like, that's the life-giving force. That's the thing that makes this body animate here. The soul is the thing that, that makes me move across the stage. It's the heartbeat. It's the breath in my lungs. That's the soul. And what God is saying here is, I want you to love me with your life. Everything that animates you, I want you to love me with that, which means I don't want you to just love me on Sunday because you're not just alive on Sunday, right? But I want you to love me with your days, every one you get, every breath you get, man, that should turn praise to God. Every, every heartbeat you get, that should turn praise to God. Every morning you wake up, Monday, maybe a horrible day, but it's still a day. And I want you to love me with your days. Everyone I give you is a gift and I intend for you every time you wake up and that soul is in your body and you still have that animate force, I want you to love me with your life is what he's saying. He goes on, he says, I want you to love me with your mind. Jesus wants us to love him with our brains. Jesus doesn't want a bunch of little puppets, right? Just coming in and coming out. But Jesus wants us to love him with our minds. What that means is with our intelligence. How do you do that? Well, he wants us to learn about him, right? Jesus wants us to be intelligent when it comes to the word of God. The scribe probably loved this one because if any of them he did, it was this one. He knew the word of God. He did love God with his mind. He devoted his life to sitting around and writing out the word of God. He, in that moment, would have have memorized vast sections of scripture. And that's part of loving God with our brains. He would have read the word as he wrote the word. That's part of loving God with our intelligence, right? He would have had to sit around and think about God as he was doing this. I don't think he just sat there mindlessly forever and nothing ever hit him nothing ever affected him i mean he obviously knew the word and here he says i want you to love me with your intelligence i want you to love me with your brain and then he goes on he says and with all your strength now the strength is the will or the will power i want you to love me with your will i want you to will want to love me is what he's saying now, I think of will and I think of willpower like immediately. And willpower is just kind of that, that desire to do something even when it's hard, right? The desire that motivates you to do something even when it's hard. And what he's saying here is even on the days that you don't feel like it, I want you to love me. Even on the days when it feels like everything's falling apart, because there are bad days, amen? Like you, something happened this week that you didn't like, I guarantee it. Something probably going to happen next week that you don't like, I guarantee it. Because not every day is a sunny, awesome, amazing day. Because life is a real thing, right? And sometimes it hits you harder than others. (laughs) What he's saying here is, I want you to love me even when you don't feel like it. You should love me to the point where in the bad days, you can get through the bad day and love me in the bad day. When everything seems to be falling apart, you can love me in the falling apart because you know me, because you love me with your brain. You know me and you love me and you just push through. And this is what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment he could think of, whole Old Testament, is not go read your Bible, right? There's nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's a way, it's a, it's a vessel, but, man, it's not it, right? 
And it's not sing some songs and raise your hand. Like it's, you, can, you can throw that into number one, right? But it's not, it's not in total number one. I want you to put a Jesus bumper sticker on your car so every morning when you walk out and go to work and it's going to be a bad day, you can be like, but Jesus loves me, yay, bumper sticker. And you can go on to work. That's not the sum total of it, right? Because you can do all those things not out of love. But he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God and to love him in such a way that you love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. And then Jesus comes along beside that, and he's like, hey, uh, by the way, I, you may ask me, so I'll go ahead and tell you. Let me give you number two. Uh, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. It's found in Leviticus. They've never been together outside of this context. No other scribe or Pharisee or Sadducee has put these two, lumped these two together. And Jesus says, these are the greatest two. I'll give you the top two. I could do all 613 for you. Don't really care. Don't have time. But I'm going to give you the top two. When you love the Lord your God, this is number one, not my opinion, but the authority of God telling you this morning, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, I can get behind the love the Lord your God one, right? <laughs> That's easy. He's good. He's amazing. He gives grace. That's cool. I uh, love him. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, but I don't know about loving the neighbor because that depends on who the neighbor is, right? Like, I love the people that live around me. That's cool but I don't think that's what he's talking about. What he's saying here is your neighbor is everybody you share oxygen with on this planet, and you are to love them just like you love yourself. Not like a distant, how are you doing? Get away from me. Not like a, I'm going to pat you on the back, but you're secretly annoying. (laughs) But like a, I love you, and I care about what happens to you at the end of the day. I don't want it for me, so I don't want it for you. Right? He says these are the top two. And then Jesus says with that same authority, there is no other commandment greater than these. Search all you want. You're not going to find one that tops these. These are the two. Doesn't matter where you would rank them. Doesn't matter what your opinion is on what you got to do. Doesn't matter what you feel like is the thing that you're trying to reach for, like the top of the ladder thing. Doesn't matter. You aren't going to find another one that's greater than these. The greatest is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest two. Erase your list. These are the greatest two. It says in 32, then the scribe said to him, um, him being Jesus, that's why it's capitalized, you are right, teacher. He walked into this conversation, that dumb carpenter, I can't believe these Pharisees can't beat him. He's never been to Sadducee school or Pharisee school. He's not a scribe. I'm smarter than him. He's just a chair maker. I got this. I can't believe you idiots couldn't take care of this on your own, but I'll get it, right? And now he's in the conversation as Oh, yeah. Amen, teacher. <laughs> and then he goes, he's a chair maker, and now he's like, the thing. Amen, teacher. That's the truth. Right on. You have correctly said, this is a scribe, you have correctly said, I agree. 
that he is one. Look where he started at, the Shema. That he is one and there is nobody else except him. And you're like, man, this dude is preaching back at Jesus right now. That's amazing. Uh, and in 33 he says, and to love him with all your understanding and with all, or sorry, with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is what that guy says to Jesus. Now listen to this. This is a man raised in the Jewish system. That would have felt horrible for him to probably say. Because he's all about temple work. Like He makes his living off temple work. Like He wants people to bring in the meat to the temple to bring, because that's where he eats, right? And then he's so on board with what Jesus is saying right now. He's like, amen, brother. That's right. The Lord your God is one. There ain't nobody else except him. To love him with all your understanding and your heart and your strength, man, that's the greatest. And to love your neighbor as yourself, there is nothing greater than that. And actually, even better than that, to be obedient is better than sacrifice. To do these, to keep these is better than bringing the lamb to the temple. Now, at this moment, we would be ready to hand him the keys to the church, right? Dude, this scribe is a Christian. I cannot, he got converted in that. Like, did, he believes in Jesus. He agrees. Hallelujah. He said, there's nobody greater than God. He's worshiping. He's preaching. I'm going to put him in Sunday school. He's going to teach. Like, he's a convert. Amen. Right? That's, he does all the stuff. Amen. That's the guy. He can lead us. But look at what Jesus says. Thirty-four. When Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, I love this is where we end because this is where we start. He come to Jesus and he was trusting in what? I'm a scribe and I know the Bible and I can do this. And he ends with the very same thing. Amen. You are correct, sir. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, still with your brain, huh? And Jesus saw that he answered intelligently that he knew the right stuff, right? This is what Jesus says to him. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus looks at him and says, man, you're not far. Now, this guy heard this probably and thought this was the greatest compliment ever in his whole life. Oh, you hear that? He didn't say that about you guys. I'm closer than you. I'm also closer than you. You may be the high priest, but he didn't say that about you. He said about me, I'm not far. Everybody remember, I'm not far. A minute ago, it was he's dumb chair maker, and now it's like, oh, man, he might be the dude. He, <laughs> Yeah. He said, I wasn't far. This is awesome. Everybody be jealous because I am almost there. Man, I hear that and I shudder. Because this guy's doing everything right. Amen? 
He goes to church more than you do. He works there. He knows more than the Bible than any of us. How many, how many days have you sat around just writing out the Old Testament? How many days have you done that? He does it all the time. You think he doesn't know the worship songs in the temple by heart? He doesn't listen to the other music. Like He, he listens to Christian music because it happens where he works, right? <laughs> he wears the right clothes. He agrees with everything Jesus is saying. He, 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 he goes through the motions. And in some ways, I, I truly believe this man loves God. But see, at the end of the day, what he's trusting in is his behavior and not the Savior. Right. That's why he can say things like obedience is better than sacrifice because he believes he can be obedient. He believes that, man, I'm... Brother, if I'm building a bridge into heaven, like I've got two or three more planks left and I'm almost there. He thinks that's what Jesus is saying. Let me put my good deeds down. Step. I'm going to put my manners down. Step. I'm put my worship songs down. Step. And he thinks Jesus is saying, keep going, man. You got a few more boards and you're going to be there. see the truth of it is obedience even if we could start with a clean slate today right Jesus only gave us two rules here out of 613 the reason he stopped at two is because this guy couldn't even do these two maybe he did love God with his intelligence devote his life to it and he probably even loved God with his soul as animating force because he woke up and went to the temple every day. He kept the law to the best of his ability. But see, the reality of it is he was basing his salvation, his getting into heaven on his behavior. And here standing right in front of him was the Savior. And when Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven, what he was saying is, man, you are doing all the stuff. But I'm standing right here in front of you, and you are missing it. You know all the songs, but I'm here, and you can't tell it's me. And you know the scripture better than probably anybody else standing here. But like scripture in the flesh is here and you don't recognize me? You, you wear the clothes that say that, that you're one of mine, but here I am and you, you can't even tell the shepherd's voice? See, you're doing all the stuff, but in the stuff you're missing the Savior. So don't, don't think here that I'm throwing you a compliment. I'm calling you to attention. When I say you're not far, I don't mean keep plunging into your path. I mean open up your eyes. 
You, you can keep doing all the stuff. You can keep doing all that if you want to. You can, you can go for it. But, uh, but I want you to know you can do all the stuff forever and miss me. And at the end, I'm going to say these words, depart from me. I never knew you because you never really knew me. See, the truth of it this morning, it's not about what you know. Amen? It's not about what you know. Go memorize it. It'll never get you into heaven. It's about who you know. See, obedience is only better than sacrifice if the sacrifice is a lamb or a goat. But when the sacrifice is the lamb, like the perfect lamb of God, there is no obedience that can touch that. See, this worries me today because I, I know that a lot of us, man, we've maybe grown up in this thing and we've grown up in church and we've been to church and we know all the stuff. Man, I don't know of a place on the planet there is more Christian culture than in this place, right? We know we got to wake up and go to church on Sunday morning or we're going to feel bad because we missed it, right? But can I just say you can do that every day for your whole life and miss the Savior. We know how to respond to worship, Oh, it's the bridge. Third course. And we can do all that and miss it. You, you can cry and miss it. You can be something emotional in there. You can miss it. You, you can read, you can pray, you can pray, and you can miss it. Because you can do all those things with, with the wrong motivation and, and never see Jesus. I know good moral people that don't know Jesus, don't you? I know people that go to concerts and raise their hand and cry because there's something emotional happening and they, they don't know Jesus. I know people that, man, you listen to, you watch a movie and you get all them little bumpy things and you're like, man, that's great. And it's about World War II and whoever made it home. And you're like, oh, man, that's good. And, and you don't know Jesus. See, the truth of it is, it's not about what you do. It's not about what box you check. It's about who you know. See, obedience is not better than sacrifice because you cannot be obedient enough. You've already messed up and you're going to continue. You, you don't need to be good and you don't need to check the boxes and you don't need to do all the stuff. You need Jesus. And my fear is, because we've grown up in it, we've seen it, and we know it, man, that we could miss it. We could never fall in love with him. We could never see him, and we could miss the whole thing. And just like this guy, we could be thinking, man, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm almost there, and get there, and Jesus be like, nope. Depart from me. I never knew you because you never knew me. It's not about our behavior. It's about the Savior. And for some of you guys this morning, you hear that and you're like, dude, I am saved. I know that I'm saved. Well, that's great. Amen. Come on. But are you missing it right now? Maybe, maybe you are saved. Maybe you're going there, but are you missing it right now? Is he standing right here and you're missing it? Is he calling you to something deeper and you're missing it? Is he calling you to something wild and extravagant and crazy and you're missing it? Because this is good enough today?
because wearing the right thing is good enough today? What, what if the thing at the end is not, oh, you almost made it to heaven, but man, you almost did something valuable. You almost let me use you. You, you almost saw me do an amazing thing. You almost made it in the promised land. Let me take you up here on this hill and show you what it would have looked like had you, had you just been obedient. And for some of us today, man, we hear that and, and we get that. Man, that's great. I, I want that. Um, can I just say this morning, though, that these commands, even though we're not doing them to try to earn something, are still commands. I, I know that here today I'm saved, and if I died this moment, I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven. Like, I know for, without a doubt, like, I'm not worried about it. I don't have to live in fear, and I don't. I don't. But that doesn't mean that these things, we get to ignore them because we're going to heaven. See, if we're going to enjoy here, what it means is we've got to enjoy the things that Jesus put on these pages. And what he says to us this morning is, maybe, maybe you do know me, and maybe you're going there, but do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, like with your emotions? Because if not, you can. Do you love him with all your soul, like your life? Do you love him with your days? Because if not, you can. Do you, do you love him with all your mind? Do you love him with your intelligence? Or would you rather just sit out and veg out on the couch and never know anything about God? And do you love him with your willpower? Yesterday's hard. Do you love him anyway? See, the truth of it is this morning, maybe for those of us that know where we're going and we know where it's going to take us when we leave this place, maybe God's just trying to do some spiritual formation in us this morning and he's saying to you, you don't love me with your mind. Why don't you read? Oh, because you don't want to. That's a real good excuse. <laughs> oh, you don't love me with your emotions because you're afraid somebody's going to think something crazy about you. Who cares? They need to repent, not you. If they're worried about you being emotional towards God, it's not your heart that's wrong. You, you do need to love me with your, with your willpower because you've been mad at me or hateful at me or holding back from me because you feel like I did something I shouldn't have done. Well, I'm God, and in the Psalms it says, I'm the God who sits in heaven and I can do whatever I want to. I wrote that about me so you would know. So get over it. I'm still good. Worship me. Man, there's all kinds of places we can run to with this this morning, but the truth of it is, this morning, if we leave this place aside from Jesus, we've done a disservice to ourselves. Let's pray.